Radical shift. We are on Mark chapter 3. Today we are talking about radical control. I think that we will just uh, begin here by reading the first six verses of Mark chapter 3. Here is what it says. Let me adjust this a little more. Another time he went into the synagogue, speaking of Jesus, and a man with a shriveled hand. Last week we saw the paralytic and the word paralytic means to be without power. Isn't it interesting that withered or shriveled that's here also means to be without power. Another time Jesus goes to synagogue. There's a man with a hand that has no power and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So there were a group of religious leaders there for one purpose and that is can we find something wrong with Jesus Christ. So they're looking for this reason to accuse Jesus. They watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. It's the first time, the only time in the scriptures that Jesus Christ calls somebody out and initiates a healing. Every other time people come to him, you know, and they want to be healed. This is the only time that Jesus says, hey, you, yeah, you back there, come up here, you know, we're going to heal you. Okay, so. Uh, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. Verse 4, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked, at a, he looked around at them in anger and distress, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is absolutely fascinating. They didn't question for one moment if Jesus had the power to heal, right? They're like, oh, yeah, you have the power to heal. Can you imagine that? That's, I mean, what if there was somebody here in this room? They're like, yep, we all know they're going to heal. People are going to get out of wheelchairs and hands and all this kind of stuff and blah, on and on. They had no question about that. They just didn't want him doing the healing on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. Of all things. Why? Because it was against their religion. It was against their religion to heal on the Sabbath. Although healing is the very essence of the Sabbath. What does the Sabbath mean? The Sabbath means rest, renewal, restoration. That's what the word Sabbath means. And so Jesus is fulfilling the very essence of the Sabbath. And they were against it. Now, they had a big problem with Jesus Christ fulfilling the essence of the Sabbath by healing on the Sabbath. But they had apparently no problem whatsoever with plotting murder on the Sabbath. Isn't that odd? And who do they plot murder with? Who do the Pharisees, the religion, who do they plot? They plot it with their, their enemies, their hated enemies, the Herodians of all things. They couldn't stand the Herodians and the back and forth, the Pharisees, back and forth with each other. The Pharisees, what are the Pharisees like? The Pharisees are all about traditional values. They're all about moral higher authority. We need to go back to the moral higher authority. They're very conservative, very traditional values. That's the Pharisees. Who are the Herodians? The Herodians supported Herod. It, all the Herods, they support all the, and they were in cahoots with the Romans, and they were Hellenist. What's a Hellenist? They believed in the spread of the Greek culture, and what does that mean? So over there, it's about moral higher authority. Over here with the Herodians, it's about self-discovery. I'm going to do whatever's right for me, and don't you dare tell me what's right for me. You people over there, don't tell me what's right for me. I will make a decision what I do with my life and my orals myself. 
And they were at odds with each other big time. Almost in some ways. Some of you are, seems like two political parties in 21st century United States of America. They disagreed about everything except for one thing. We both want Jesus dead because he doesn't fit either place. Wow. That's interesting. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us today as we study your word. Help us to see how it applies to our life. And what decisions you would have us to make today because we've heard from you. In Christ's name, amen. Radical control. The word control means to regulate or supervise. To regulate, keep that in mind. It means to regulate or supervise. Who are these people? Who are these religious leaders? I mean, we just really hammer these Pharisees all the time. But look, let's face it, everybody. These people aren't stupid people. They're very, very smart people, very seasoned people, very experienced people. They're not unusually bad people. They're just people. They're just people. Why do they act the way that they do? People loved Jesus. Jesus, I said this last week, is like a rock star. I want to read you verses 7 to 10 and show you what's going on around Jesus. Why, and why wouldn't the Pharisees or the Herodians, wouldn't they say, oh my goodness, Jesus is absolutely awesome. I mean, his preaching, his teaching, his healing, his humility. We, we want to we join in with Jesus. What was keeping them from all that? Let's read verses 7 to 10. Get a little insight here. So it says, Jesus withdraw, withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When he heard, when they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea. Notice this, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Let's stop right there. People were coming from all over the place, like all over the place, hundreds of miles away to see Jesus. That's not an easy thing to do. This is not like the traveling back then was not an easy thing to do. It's not like you drop jumping on a train or a bus or a plane to go up to New York City to see you two or Beyonce in concert. This is not the same thing. Very, very difficult to travel. And Jesus Christ, they're, they're going through all this difficulty because Jesus is just so awesome. And crowds are all around. And verse number 10, or verse number 9. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples... Have an escape route planned. It's basically what he says here. Because of the crowd, he told us, have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. When he says to keep the people from crowding him, it was a crowd that was so, I mean, they were so whipped up in a frenzy like around Elvis or the Beatles that he was afraid that somebody was going to get trampled. This is how popular Jesus is because he's so awesome. Everybody's into him. So verse 10, for he, for he had healed many so that those with the diseases were pushing forward just to touch him. Crowds were coming all over the place. So what's the problem? Why are they here plotting against Jesus to murder him? Word, control. They could not control Jesus. He would not allow them to control him. Their desire to control was so powerful. Anybody know a control freak? It's not you. You're not the control. Does anybody know somebody else that's a control freak? Okay. The human nature and the power to control is tremendously powerful. We are always being pulled towards this desire to control. And they were as well. They wanted to control Jesus so badly because he would not be controlled by them. 
They had to kill him. Please write this in. It's on the back of your bullet. It's very important, all right? The desire to control God is called religion. The desire to control God is called religion. We often talk about this. We say things like, oh, you know what? Religion is all about, you know, the religious leaders trying to control people. All right, true. You can make a great case for that. It's a desire to control people. But I want to tell you something. That's not the genesis of it. The genesis of the whole situation is the desire to control God. That's what this message is all about today. And this is why they're trying to kill Jesus. And this is what we're going to go through. The desire to control God is called religion. And Jesus Christ is here saying, I'm ending religion. And this is why they say, oh, you're ending religion? Well, then we're going to kill you. I have a couple points I want to go through here. I want to contrast religion and gospel. They're diametrically opposed. Religion and gospel. So let, let's do this. All right, ready? Religion. I obey, therefore I am accepted, and God is obligated to me. I obey, therefore I'm accepted, and God is obligated to me. If I get all the answers right on the test, the teacher must give me an A, period. That's religion. Gospel says, I'm accepted. It starts with, I am accepted. Therefore, I obey and I am free. Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son either way. This is a great example of religion and gospel clashing against each other. So let's review the story really quick. So in the story, you have a father that's God. You have a father that's God in the story. He's got two sons, older son, younger son. Younger son says, look, dad, I wish you were dead. Tremendous disrespect in biblical days. I wish you were dead. Since you're not, just give me your money and I want to go. So his father gives him all of his riches, his half that he had coming to him. And the son goes off and we're told in scripture lives riotous living, riotous, wild living. I mean, just does it, blows it out. He's partying every night, doing anything that he wants, anything he wants. Don't tell me what to do. He's doing anything he wants. And then finally he's broke and a famine hits the land. And so what's he ends up doing? He goes and tries to find work anywhere. I mean, he's down in the dumps. It's terrible. And this Jewish boy goes to a pig farmer and says, can I work for you? This is astounding. Are you serious? This is the worst sin you could ever do. And so he goes and he says he longs to feed his stomach with the pods that the pig farmer is feeding the pigs, right? He longs. And finally, one day he says, oh my goodness, I have just, this was dumb. This was just dumb. I'm going to go back and tell my father, I've sinned. So he goes back and we're told this, his father sees him a long way away. And his father, God, starts running. Jewish men, elder men do not run in public. And God humbles himself and runs and wraps his arm around his son. And this is, father, I've sinned, I've sinned. And his father says, shut up. Father doesn't say, you need to start doing this and that. But it doesn't say anything. Just says, you're back, you're back in. You're in. Let's go have a party. Older brother. Obedient older brother. Obedient older brother who has always performed. Here's the noise of the party that's going on. And he says to some of the other workers around, what's going on? Your brother's come back. He said, what? He's come back. Your dad's throwing a party. He goes to the party he goes to the party. He says, I will not go in the party. Listen, you need to know something. In the scripture, look, we often talk about the king. Everybody has this idea of the kingdom of God, heaven, be doom and gloom. I didn't bring that out last week in the scriptures. When it, when it talks about uh, John the Baptist and the Pharisee, all these disciples, and they're all fasting. And it's, you know, it's doom and gloom. And how come your disciples aren't fasting? And Jesus, because it's a party around me. 
Our idea is that heaven or the kingdom of God is doom and gloom when it's a party. And so the younger brother, the sinning, the sinning, bad younger brother goes into the kingdom of God, which is a party. And the older obedient brother says, I refuse to go in. The father comes out, says, come, you know, come on in. He's been lost and now he's found. And the older brother says, you shouldn't throw a party for him. I'm going to control you, God. I will tell you what you can and cannot do. This is religion, remember, Father? I will tell you what you can and cannot do. You cannot throw a party for this sinner. Now shape up, God, now. This is the way we do things. And then it says the older brother refused to go in. The older brother never enters into the kingdom of God. He never enters into the party. What keeps him out? His goodness keeps him out. Fascinating story. Galatians. The entire book of Galatians is about the difference between the religion and the gospel. The entire book. We are constantly being drawn toward religion. So this is what it says. It starts with Paul speaking. Says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. They're quickly turning away. You know why? Because we're constantly pulled toward religion. We're constantly pulled towards, I must perform, and God, you must, you must accept me. And then you must, you're obligated to do things the way I understand that they should be done. Pulled toward that. I was playing golf one time. Everybody. I was playing golf, and uh, I told you before, I'm a terrible golfer. I know nothing about it. But I remember I was with this guy who golfs all the time. And we were looking at a green. I was getting ready to hit a putt. And I said, which way do you think this thing breaks? He said, you see that water over there? I said, yeah. He said, that's the way it's going. Now, he could have been full of whatever. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he's, know what he's talking about or not. But he said, anytime you see water, the ball is always going to break that way. Same thing with us. It is our human nature. We are always going to be drawn. We can't help it. We're drawn toward religion. Therefore, we have to fight it all the time. And this is what Paul is saying here. You must look at yourself over and over again and fight this religious pull because religion leads to death and bondage. He continues on. For through the law, I died to the law. Through obedience, I died to disobedience so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. We constantly want to set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through obedience, through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal through human effort? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Religion leads to bondage and slavery. The gospel leads to power and life. Let's do another one. Religion. The good are saved and the bad are rejected. That makes sense to me. That makes total sense to me. The good are saved and the bad are rejected. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God's ways are higher than our ways. So here's gospel. Ready for this? Diametrically opposed. The bad are saved and the good are rejected. So remember last week? Jesus says, I didn't come to call the good. I, I didn't come to call the good. I, I, I came to call the bad. If you're good, if you're healthy, if you're healthy, then I'm not here for you. You and I have nothing to do with each other. I came to call the sick. It's saying, hey, God, I'm really bad. You're in. 
God, I'm really bad. I'm bro- you're in. Religion says, God, I'm really good. Look at me. I'm studying the details of your word and I'm performing great. And he says, you're out. Older brother, you're out. That's an amazing, amazing thought. The obedient older brother does not go in while the bad younger brother does. This is the mindset. Religion is the mindset that if I'm bad, God is going to get me. You ever thought that way before? If I am bad, God is going to get me. Uh, I went to this school. This is where I went to middle school. My next door neighbor, the house they lived in, I think was owned by the Venezuelan embassy because we always had people from Venezuela living there and they all worked in the embassy. So uh, I went to school with a guy named Juan Carlos Lopez right here. And I remember one day, they gave us some kind of recess here. They didn't call it recess, but like after lunch, you could go in the parking lot right over here. Go out in the parking lot here. And uh, I remember one day we were out just right there. They wouldn't let you go far. Like you couldn't go where the cars are. You could just go to the sidewalk there. And uh, he said, hey, some of my friends are here and uh, they've got their dad's car. Let's skip school. Let's take the rest of the day off, right? Let's take the rest of the day off and let's just, let's go. And I said, I mean, watch out for the Venezuelans, all right? So I said, all right. So he tempted me and I said, okay. So we go and uh, they, their car was parked over. It's like this big, huge, it's like, this is back in the 70s, big, massive Lincoln, right? And we got this big old Lincoln. I didn't find out later that the guy driving was 15 years old, okay? So we go out of the parking lot down there and you know how you can turn to the right and then you just like horseshoe around all the way and you can jump up onto Route 50. Does anybody want to talk about right here in the parking lot? You can jump on Route 50. So we go and we just jump up on Route 50 and we just got there and my buddy Juan Carlos, he grabs me and he throws me down to the floorboard. I said, what are you doing? We had pulled up we had put up on Route 50 in the car right next to us was my father. <laughs> he didn't see us. He didn't see. That's the wonderful news. He didn't see us. Hey, let me tell you one time that story. We were getting ready to take a trip to California. And I was majorly into surfing and skateboarding. And California has the best surfing and skateboarding. And I, I believed at that moment after I did this very bad thing that God was going to get me. And I remember going talking to my mom. I said, Mom, I just, I had to clear my conscience somehow because I was getting ready to have a terrible, I wanted to have a good time in California surfing and skateboarding. But because I did this bad thing, God was going to get me. He had the lightning bolt ready to go, right? This is it, right? Right? I perform. I'm accepted. God is obligated to give me a good time in California. It's religion, Okay. So I said, Mom, I did this thing. I'm terrible. I'm sorry. I started crying and all this. Please, you know, forgive me. You know, God's got all this kind of stuff so I can have a what? Great time in California. That's a religious mindset. It's a religious mindset. If you feel like, oh, I do something wrong, God's out to get you. Look, there are natural ramifications for us doing wrong things. There's sowing and reaping. So I skipped school that day. Maybe I got worse grades, probably got worse grades, right? That's a natural, maybe I went to detention, natural consequence, but it's not God with the lightning bolt. That's religion saying, bam, I'm going to get you. Let's go to the next one. Religion says, I must obey. The gospel says, I am honored to obey. I don't even like that, what I put there. Put this one instead. Write that out. Put this one. I can't obey. I can't obey. I'd rather you put it that way. Every religion takes its holy scriptures, its sacred word, and it holds it up. Islam, 
right? Hinduism, but they hold it up and say, I must do this in order to be accepted before God. And the Apostle Paul holds up the Scripture to us all through Romans, all through Galatians. He holds it up and he says, God, I can't do this. And God says, you got it, you're in. Does that make sense to you? You see, this is why we're constantly pulled towards religion and religion leads to bondage and death and why the gospel leads to power and life. I remember years ago, I grew up in the church and I grew up hearing about grace. We just didn't practice any of it. We're founded on grace. Grace is central to Christianity. We just don't practice or really believe it. We talk about it all the time. We just don't believe it. And I remember thinking a number of years ago when I first really hit me. Start, I said, man, God, I can't get up and tell people that because then they'll go and do anything they want. That's religion. Gospel is power. Paul, in Romans 7, as you read through the entire book of Romans, there's this growing frustration. And it culminates in Romans chapter 7, second half of Romans 7. And he's just seething. He's like, I can't, I'm trying so hard to do this and I'm so, I'm lacking power, I'm lacking life, I'm frustrated, this is ridiculous. And finally he says, who's going to free me from this body of death? He says, because I can't do it. My performance can't do it. The body of death, a very specific word, phrase that's given there by Paul. It was a form of execution. And the way you would execute somebody back in those days, you put a body of death on them. You'd strap a dead body to a person's bare back, and eventually that dead body would eat away at the living person, and you would die a horrendous death. And he says, who's going to free me of this? There's only one person who can free me of this, and that's Jesus Christ. See, religion is built on me. Religion is built on me. The gospel is fully, 100%. Not a little bit of God and a little bit of me, or mostly God and a little bit of me. It's, not, it's 100%. God. It's 100% God. Last point. Religion. I must study the details of the Bible so that I can perform and be a better person. I have to study the details of the Bible. I can perform and be a better person. The gospel says I could care less about the details. I study because I'm in awe of God. Now, let me qualify a few things here. Of course, we're interested in what the Bible says. That's to, if you're thinking I'm saying that, you're missing the point because it's what we do every single Sunday. We go through the Bible, right? We talk about the Bible. But with the Pharisees who were very religious and their powerful desire to control God, they had an expanding set of details about what it meant to be a follower of God, an expanding set of details. That's what we're drawn to. Why? Because as the details expand, we can go up, 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 up the chain and become more and more exclusive and look down on the people who can't perform as we're performing, and we feel better about ourselves. I'm afraid many times in the United States of America, churches grow or try to grow by appealing to people's pride. You're in the in-group. You're in the in-group. And those people out there are wrong. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is we are no better than anyone else. And it's all about God, and it's not about me. That is religious, and it lacks power, lacks power in the details. I tell my kids, I would, I, you know, I would never tell my kids, you can do absolutely anything you want. I wouldn't, you know why? When I would tell them, hey, you, you need to do this and that about school or whatever it might be about life. Why? Because I want what's best for them. Now, don't tell them this but they could do anything they want and I would unconditionally always love them. 
Don't let them know that. But they could do anything they want. And I would always claim them. And I would always accept them. God is a far better parent than I ever am. Religion. You know the definition for the word religion? I looked it up this past week. Ready for this? The details of belief. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus Christ is never interested in the details? The Pharisees are like details, nitpicky details. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? Jesus isn't into the idea. He's not into it. So the prodigal son comes back. And it's like, well, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. And once you get all those done, we'll have another set of list of, of details for you. None of that. How can you do that? Because that's gospel. Do you read the Bible because you're trying to understand more about the details so you can be a better person? Or do you study and read the Bible because you're absolutely floored and in awe by a God who loves you unconditionally? Here's the thing. Sabbath. Jesus Christ, in this that we read today, said he's Lord of the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What is it anyway? Is it because God needed to rest? Like, was he tired out after six days of all that creating? That he's like, whoa, whew, man, that was a tough six days. I'm pretty worn out. I just need to kind of rest and relax. Is Jesus, is God the father of vacation? Is that what that's about? Here's what Sabbath means. Here's what Sabbath really means. God took a look at what he had made. He said, it is good. Another way to say this, it's done. It's complete. Jesus is saying, I am the Lord of the finished work. That's why Jesus Christ on the cross right before he dies says is what? Does anybody know what he says right before he dies? It is finished. That's what it means, the Sabbath. It's done. It's complete. There's nothing more to do. Here's the thing. Here's the reality, everybody. When you accept the gracious gift of Jesus Christ, you can go out and do anything you want. You can sin all you want. It does not change your place, your position in the kingdom of God one ounce. Not one ounce. Not one bit. Paul makes that so clear in Romans. Now, I talked about this one time five or six years ago, and I just got lit up on an email from somebody. Somebody was there and says, you know, my 15-year-old kid was with me, and they know that you're preaching heresy. Okay, here's the thing. You could go to the Bible. This is what it says, and Paul makes this really clear. Should and could are two different words, right? Do you know that? Should and could are two different words. You could go out and sin all you want. You shouldn't, but you could, and it's not going to change your position one bit because if you believe it does, then you're a religious person and you're not into the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clear? And there's no power in that belief, in religious belief whatsoever. That's what Jesus is doing, and this is why they're very angry at Jesus, and that's what Galatians is all about. Should you go out and sin all you want? No, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. Because you might wake up with a terrible hangover, and you have no idea what you did with the people that you're with the night before. All right? So you shouldn't do it. But you could. You could. And if you say that you can't, because it's going to change your position in Jesus Christ, what you did, you're a religious person, and you're not into the gospel, and the pull is always to be religious. Always, just like the putt going down towards the water. It's always to be religious. Religion breeds this, write this in, criticism, contempt, and finally, what we're really talking about today is control. Critical people are religious people. They look down on others. This hits both sides of the coin. We talked about Pharisees and Herodians earlier, right? Talked about this. So we can understand the Pharisees, and they're always critical, and they're always coming down on people, and they're always taking the moral higher ground. Well, what about the Herodians are like all about self-discovery? Isn't it easy to feel self-righteous about the self-righteous? 
You know, I find it very easy to feel, I am, I say, I am better than people who feel better than them, about themselves. Right? I'm better than that. These people feel really good about themselves. I, I'm better than them. That's a problem, isn't it? I'll let you work on that one. Um, <laughs> Jesus is here saying religion is over. It's ending. And we're, they're going to kill him because of it. Religion is over. It's done. It's a waste of time. There is no power there. There is no power I can't say that enough. There's no power. Gosh. And do we get tired of just, for those of us who have been going to church for a long time, do we get tired? We read about all this power of Jesus Christ that death could not keep him down. Nobody could keep Jesus down. He has all this power. It's nothing is ordinary. Nothing is mundane with Jesus Christ. And then we read that when we accept Christ as Savior, that the risen Jesus Christ lives in us with all that power, and then we live boring lives. Is there a problem with that? Do we ever get sick and tired of just coming to church every week, doing the same thing, because this is what we do? When the Bible says we're filled with power, the power of Jesus Christ. Well, what happens is religion fights against that. The pull to religion. I'm better. I must perform. I have to do that. When I got to the point where I said, you know what, God? Yes, I finally do believe in your grace. I'm accepted no matter what. My thought was, I was afraid to say it, because I thought, Oh, man, then I'm just going to live any way I want. You know what? All of a sudden, ready? A new power filled my life. I no longer obeyed because I had to obey. I obeyed because I was in absolute awe of God who would love me no matter what. The moment it went against my, my brain. I said, this can't be right. I felt the power of God fill my life. Here's what I'd like you to consider doing. Two things. First thing is this. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ before it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. To be both religious and a follower of Jesus Christ does not work. Stephen Wright, who was a comedian... Uh, said, some of you might remember from the 80s and 90s, he said in his very dry sense of humor, he said he, for his birthday was given a humidifier and a dehumidifier. He said, so I put him in the same room and let him fight it out. <laughs> That's what it means to live for both gospel and religion at the same time. It absolute they're fighting against each other and it does not work. It leads to frustration. Leads to absolute frustration. We cannot be, we cannot be a powerful follower of Jesus Christ and maintain a religious point of view. Religion seeks to control God, and it is of the devil. I'm going to point this out. I know it's late. Give me just another second, all right? Five more minutes. Okay, really, I want to say this, because it's all culminating in this. Just give me a second, all right? Religion seeks to control God, and it's absolutely of the devil. Mark 3. Please look at those scriptures real quick. This is, this is fascinating, everybody. Mark chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. So here's what it says. Whenever the evil spirits, this happens all over the place in Mark. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before Jesus and they cried out, you are the son of God. But Jesus gave them strict orders to not tell anybody who he was. Why? Why? Why did he say, yes, tell the whole world I'm the son of God. He's all over Mark. He says, shut up. Shut up. Why is he doing that? In, 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 in the Bible? In, in biblical times, everybody, to name somebody meant you had mastery over them. Meant you, were their ma- you controlled them if you knew their name. It's like, I know you. you. You understand how I just said that? I know you. You mastered. So Jacob, 
Jacob the deceiver, who is all about controlling everybody his entire life, seeks to control everybody, every situation, his entire life. His name, the name Jacob, means deceiver. He finally wrestles with God one night, all night long. He wrestles with God. And finally God says, okay, I got to go. And Jacob says, bless me before you go. And God says to him, Jacob, who always is the controller, the control freak, says, what's your name? What's God saying? Are you going to let me control you? Are you going to let me be in charge from now on? And there's this long pregnant pause. I think it doesn't say in the scripture. I'm just speculating. I think there's a long pregnant And finally he says, my name is Deceiver. My name is Jacob. And God blesses him. And then notice what Jacob does back immediately. What is your name? Jacob says to God. And God says, I ain't telling you. Because you'll never control me. All right, ready? I'll give you another one. Peter. Mark chapter 8, the most pivotal point in the entire gospel of Mark. It is the point where Jesus says, who do people say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Like Up at this point, the disciples have no idea who Jesus is. Only the demons do. It's an incredible paradox. Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It's awesome. People are, woo, man, it's big. Few lines later, same scene, few lines later after... Peter has named who Jesus is. What does Peter do? Jesus starts talking about, I'm going to have to suffer and die. Peter grabs the son of God who he just named. Okay? Pulls him aside and starts rebuking him. You will not do this, Jesus. Because I'm a religious person and I'm going to control you and I know your name. I know your name. It's of the devil. Religion is of the devil and it seeks to control God and it does not lead to power and life. The naming, the naming. Here's what I want you to do. Second thing, pursue God's new name for you. Pursue God's new. Let me just read you real quick, verses 13 to 16. So Jesus goes up on a mountain and he calls those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 designating. He appoint, the word appoint means to create. He creates something new and he designates 12 to be apostles. That they might be with him and they might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave a new name to, Peter. Fascinating. God likes to name things. You ever notice that? God's into naming things. He changes people's names. God named, the whole thing starts, Genesis chapter 1. God names, let there be what? He didn't say, let there be something. Let there be something. Let there be light. And eventually it becomes light. Let there be land. Let there be water. Was Simon, he goes, you're going to be Peter. The word Peter, the name Peter means to be a solid rock. Was he a solid rock? Was he rock solid? He was impulsive, he was unstable, he was unreliable, he was all those things. But here's the point, when God names, when God names you, when God names you, you will eventually become exactly what he has named you to be. That's the point. God is into names. God, here's a, I want to end with this. God has a new name for you. God has a new name for you. Let me tell you a story and I'll stop. It's raining anyway outside. Why do you want to go outside? Okay. 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 Uh, my my uh, mom and dad divorced about 15 years ago. And when that divorce happened, a lot of family history came out, things that I didn't know about. Not just about my dad, but about a lot of men in my family going back to grandfathers and uncles and on and on and on. I heard all this stuff. It was unbelievable. And it rocked me. And I remember this distinctly. 
This is the way the sly men act, and you will follow right in suit. That was said to me. One day, you will do the same. That's your name. You're a sly man. And you will follow suit down this same path. And I was just reeling at a time. And I can remember so distinctly. This wasn't an audible thing. This was not audible. But I felt this so strongly, everybody. I felt this so strongly. I felt like in that moment, God said, I got a new name for you. I'm charting a new destiny for you. You're going in a new direction. Some of you are here, and you are speaking a name over yourself, and it's not God's name for you. Some of you, you had parents that spoke a name over you. That's not God's name for you. You had relatives, aunts, and uncles, and they spoke a name over you. That's not God's name for you. You had people in school or the public or your neighborhood, right? And they spoke a name over you and said, that's your destiny. And God says, i got a new destiny for you. I'm charting a new course for you. I've got a new name. Let me control your life. Don't let somebody else control it. Let me name you. I asked the prayer team, I asked the prayer team this past week on Friday, I said, well, I want you, need you to pray about this. I need you to pray for every single person. Here's my, this is what would be awesome today. We're going to end in a song here in just a second. We'll sing a song, okay? It'd be awesome to see a line of people over there with the prayer team because the prayer team simply wants to pray this. God, give them a new name. Give them a new name today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you give us new names you chart a new course for our lives. Lord, just help us to hear that new name. Allow us to, uh, to allow you to control our lives and not to seek to control you anymore, but just to be free in you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.